0: sign up and attend the outing there at Camp Kobiak this next Saturday. You need a break in the middle of, of winter. Get out and do something, whether you go down the hill or not. One of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life happened at this outing a couple of years ago when Sharon and a group of other ladies, they had like a train of tubes going down the hill, and they got off to the side a little bit where tubers had not gone, and it was just Mounds of fluffy white snow, and they were just totally engulfed. I mean, t- you'd have to—it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And those ladies were laughing. So you know how my wife laughs. And it, when they got to the bottom of the hill, I mean, they were just fit to be tired I mean, they were just covered. They were white. They were just totally—they you know, looked like a bunch of snow ladies, it's not snow men. Snow ladies coming down the hill. So um, you know, it, it's a good break in the middle of, of, of winter. So, oh, and let me tell you, guess what I did this past week? Guess what I did? You're going to be so proud of me as your pastor. I boiled peanuts. Ah, yeah, now, I heard a few O's. Yeah, there's some people that know all about that. Yes. How many of you have ever eaten boiled peanuts before? Okay. A lot, a lot more than what I thought. Now, how many of you like them? Because not everybody likes them. Okay. I don't like peanuts, you know, just peanuts raw or peanuts salted mixed in with all those other nuts, you know, that doesn't, I don't care for that. I don't like peanut butter. I, I'll eat it, but I, I'm, I'm never going to ask for it, you know, put a little extra peanut butter on there. No, that's not me. We were down south, of course, you know, the home of boiled peanuts, and they sell them by the roadside, right? You go down south, they sell them by the roadside, and Sharon had had experience with them before, I mean, Mississippi girl. So she sees the sign, boil peanuts ahead. So we go, and you know, I don't like peanuts. So she decides, she says, Stop Stop at that next stand. She says, I want, I want to get some boiled peanuts. I said, oh, no, That's going to be yucky. That's going to be terrible. You know, and I'm, I'm, she said, No, no, you'll like it. No, no, I'm not, I'm not even going to try them. So we, we get them, and, and she's sitting in the car. And we continue on. She's in the car peeling. She's eating them. She said, Here, try them. I said, No, 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 no. Don't want to have one of those. That's nasty. Can't can't be good. I don't like peanuts to begin with. She said, I'll come on, try them. And, and so finally, I, I reach my hand out, and she gives them to me. I I'll pop them out of my mouth. It's the humblest thing in the world to reach back over for some more. <laughs> <laughs> she, said, she said, you liked them, didn't you? I said, well, I wouldn't admit that. But go ahead. You know, pop them out of my mouth. A little while later. She said, you do like them, don't you? I do. So we, we, we found some up here, down uh, I saw Jim and Kim, there's a store down 55 from you going towards Tawas. It's at the intersection of, is it 65 and 55? There's a store there. And we were coming back from seeing Mrs. Hinckley a couple weeks ago. We, we stopped at that store, and on the sign it, on the store, it said, Boiled Peanuts. And we got some, and, and they were good. And they were also expensive. <laughs> so I told Sharon, I said, let's buy our own, and I'll just, I'll, I'll make them. And she found the back. Where admirers the other day? They got to be raw. They can't be salted. They can't be anything. But but you boil them, and and they end up being kind of mushy, a a little bit mushy, and salty. You put a lot of salt in the water. and, And you can also. My next experiment is going to be Cajun style. That's the other way you will see them. So very often is Cajun style. So I got we we got the Cajun spices to make that happen. So that's my next experiment. But they, they, they turned out well, and I, I went online to try to learn how to do that, and I followed the instructions, and I'm well, By the way, how many of you know this? Peanuts are not really a nut. I see a nut. Yeah, they're they're a bean is really what a legume would be the word for it. But I had to go online and had to you, you got to boil those things forever. I mean, for like five hours before they start to even get like you want them to be. But I went online to learn the instructions because I wanted to get it right. Here's a good segue if you want to get your finances right, you go to the Bible. You go to the Bible. And the Bible has a lot to say about it because it's a very important part of our lives. You know, the clothes that everybody in this room are wearing had to be paid for, this building had to be paid for. The car you go home in had to be paid for, and all that requires money. So money is a very huge part of our lives. Sadly, a lot of people get it wrong. Sadly, there's a lot of people that are are not doing well because of their ignorance of Bible principles. And so we're trying to correct that and teach you Bible principles, and we're focusing uh, on the Bible principles contained in the book of Proverbs. And today we're going to look at seven Bible principles that promote prosperity. And you need to make sure that you know these principles, and you need to make sure that you are living your life in accordance to these principles. But we're going to start back in Joshua, because I want you to see that it's important to the Lord that his people prosper. In Joshua chapter 1, verse number 7, it says this, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses thy servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper. This is God talking to Joshua, saying, I want you and your people to prosper. Now, you're going to see in a minute, I'm not talking the prosperity gospel. Now, those are typically charismatic-type preachers that are saying, hey, if you send money to me, God's going to make you rich. We don't believe that. We don't teach that. In fact, that's a wrong definition of prosperity, which we'll get to in a second. But we can see right here in Scripture when the Lord is talking to Joshua, God says to Joshua, I want you folks to prosper. And he's no respecter of, of persons as he wanted them to prosper several thousand years ago. He wants us, his people, today to prosper as well. So he says that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt, he says it again, then shalt thy way prosper shall make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Well, I don't know anybody in their right mind that wants to live in poverty, that, that, that thinks poverty is a good thing. I mean, anybody in their right mind would want to prosper, and we can only be thankful to God that he wants us to prosper as well. And in this passage, the leadership mantle is being transferred from Moses to Joshua, and God is giving instructions to Joshua and his people so that they will prosper. Now, common sense will tell you, And a knowledge of Scripture will tell you that when the Lord is talking about them prospering here, he doesn't mean that they're all going to be filthy rich. That's Common sense will tell you that, and a knowledge of Scripture will tell you that. It doesn't mean that they're going to be candidates to be on lifestyles of the rich and famous. Understand that by prospering, God means that they're going to be content. They're going to have enough. In fact, next week I'm going to... Focus on a verse, another verse in Proverbs where the, the author of Proverbs says, and this, this says it all. He prays and he says, Lord, make me neither rich. No, he says, may I neither, may I neither live in riches or in poverty. Okay? That's what we mean by, by prosper. We're not suggesting that you're going to be rich and you're going to get everything you want. You know, God, that's not God's will for everybody. It may be for some. But not for, for most people. Neither is it God's will that we live in poverty. So he's talking about, though, being prosperous in that your needs are being met, your, your bills are being paid, you, you, you're not fretting over money. But understand when he tells them that he wants them to prosper and to be prosperous, understand this. This is critical, it's conditional. At the same time, he is telling them, I want you to prosper. He is giving them the conditions that must exist first for that to happen. Look what it says. It's it's up behind me here. He says, first, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. I want you to prosper, but if if you want to prosper, do as I say. Do as I say. That's what he's saying here in modern terminology. I want you to prosper, but it's not going to be like just do your thing, and I'm just going to pour it out to you. He says, then you'll be blessed. Then you'll make your way prosperous. Again, the Bible wants you and I to prosper in the sense that our needs are being met, that we are not in poverty, but at the same time, not necessarily in riches. I am so thankful that God wants Sharon and I to live a life that we could say, yes, we're, we're prosperous. Not rich, but we're, 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 our needs are met. Having our needs met, therefore we're content. I'm glad the Lord wants that for my children and for, for my grandchildren. But again, folks, even in this passage, understand this. This is where modern-day Americans miss it. It's conditional. He says, there's some things you can't do. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. But your delight is in the law of the Lord. And does he meditate day and night? He loves God's Word, loves to read it, loves to study it, loves to be at church for Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon and Wednesday night. He says, you'll prosper. And that's what I want for you. You say, well, when are you going to get to the giving part? Oh, we're going to get there. We're, we're going to get there. But in, it's no use getting there if you don't have it to give. You know, it, it's no use getting So God wants you to prosper, and yes, he wants you to give. But giving is first based upon you having, and you having is dependent upon you knowing God's Word and living God's Word. And as we taught last week, not doing the things you're not supposed to do, which many Christians are guilty of. And as we're going to preach this week, doing the things that you're supposed to do. There's numerous ways God can prosper us with our health, with peace of mind, with good friends and spiritual growth and well-being, and included in that financially. And as I said a while ago, you know, when God talks about us Prospering, he's not talking about us being filthy rich and that kind of thing. No, First Timothy six eight says it all. I think having this is Paul's prayer, and having food and raiment, let us therewith let us be therewith content. So I try to put myself in your place in the congregation. You say, Well, yeah, God wants us to prosper. That, that's good. And he tells me what I shouldn't do. And I need to look down that list the pastor gave from Proverbs last week and see if I'm doing any of those things. And if I'm guilty of any of those things, I'm going to stop. And I need to pay attention today to what the pastor is going to point out in Proverbs that it says, I ought to do in order to prosper. And if I'm not doing those things, I'm going to start doing it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the power of the Word of God to change you, to change people. But at the same time, you can say, well, if God wants us all to prosper, why, why do some suffer deprivation? There are Christians I maybe know or have known that, you know, they're, they're in church faithfully. But, you know, pastor, it, that seems to be a problem. How do you explain that? You know, I try to think that way. I think, because I'm up here preaching this, I'm thinking, I know some people are going to be thinking, nah, I, I see too many inconsistencies here. Well, there's an explanation for that, because it's true. That God wants us to prosper, but not all Christians really do prosper. How do you explain that? Is that, a, is that one of those contradictions in the Bible? On the one hand, God says, you know, do this and you'll prosper. Well, think about it for a second. Three things that would explain that. Number one, God's judgment could negatively impact a believer's prosperity. God says he wants people to prosper, but if you're violating principles, if you're not living according to God's will, he has a right to chastise us or punish us, and one way might be to withhold financial blessings. Some Christians don't prosper because of personal judgment, God's judgment on them personally. Maybe they're Maybe they don't tithe like they're supposed to. That's part of the equation. Maybe, maybe they're dishonest. Uh, maybe they're not as frugal or as knowledgeable as they're supposed to be. That might explain some of the exceptions you, you see. Or sometimes it may be national judgment, you know, where God is punishing a nation. And even the good people within that nation, you know, the, the nation turns from God, and one of the ways he punishes people is, you know, they live in poverty, And they suffer the consequences of turning on God. And if you're a believer in that same country, that's going to affect you as well. It's not an inconsistency. It's just all of these Bible principles, God is smart enough to make them all work in conjunction with one another, not in opposition to one another. So it could be God's judgment could negatively impact a believer's prosperity. That would explain why some people you know that are Christians are doing quite poorly. If not that, number two, ignorance or defiance of biblical principles can negatively impact a believer's prosperity. A believer that doesn't go to church or doesn't go to the right kind of Bible-teaching church. And the, you know, are they, or they don't go to church. Well, if you don't know the principles, you can't practice them, and so you're going to be floundering. Or maybe you know them, but you just you're going to do it your way. That's a real problem with Americans today especially American Christians. Many of them, they do know what God says about finances, but I'll take my chances. You know, I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to be generous. I, I'm, I'm not going to give, and, and maybe for that reason that they're suffering. Or number three, God's divine providence can impact a believer's prosperity. Just God's divine providence. Things that God decides because God decides them, and he can decide whatever he wants to. I mean, there can be some people that suffer because they're born with physical or mental deficiencies. There can be some people that can't be trusted with prosperity. God knows if I bless them, they're going to they're be distracted. They're going to buy toys and, or that camp, and they're not going to go to church anymore. Are they Are going to be distracted by that? And then there's some people, they may be going through deprivation simply because God's trying to teach them a lesson. So because you may see some exceptions out there that not all Christians are prospering, even just having their basic needs met, that explains it. That explains why. But key is, is understanding that God's principles must work in conjunction with each other for his ultimate glory. And he can make that happen, and that explains why there's some differences among the believers But as a general rule, as we see from Scripture, many places in Scripture, it's God's will for his children to prosper. It's my will for my children, Jeremy, Matt, and Aaron, that they prosper. I I don't like seeing them struggle financially at all. And I am well pleased when... One of them will say, I, I got a raise, or I got this job, or, or, or whatever, something you know, I got this, this blessing. God's a much better parent to us than I am to my children. And in the same way, he wants us to prosper. But I also know that there can be some times that I may, not that it's necessarily happened, but there could be a situation where I could tell one of my children, you know, maybe they're on hard times. And I'll say, well, yeah, you haven't held down a job. You haven't kept a job, and I don't know how long. You've been fired from how many jobs? Now, that hadn't happened, but that would explain it. The starting point for biblical prosperity is knowing from Scripture what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Now, last week, we looked in Proverbs at things you shouldn't do. Very quickly this morning, let's look in Proverbs that promote prosperity, okay? And if you're not doing these things, you need to start right away. Number one. We see in Proverbs 10, 4, diligent people tend to be the prosperous people. Diligent people, Proverbs 10, 4b, the hand of the diligent maketh rich. The hand of the diligent maketh rich. One writer says there's a connection. A connection exists between the bounty of God and the duty of man. Isn't that good? There is a connection between the bounty of God and but the duty of man. Remember this. People will say, well, God God feeds the birds of the air. You've heard that? He'll take care of me. God feeds the birds of the air. But he doesn't put the food in their mouths. Right? So stick with me. They got to go out and get it. That, that robin's got to be out there. Early bird gets the worm, okay? They got to go out there and get it. So, again, you would be, you would show... Not a good understanding if you say, well, God feeds the birds of the air and he'll take care of me. You've just exposed a misunderstanding of Scripture. It says, the hand of the diligent maketh rich. It's imperative that if we want to have God's basic blessings, our basic needs taken care of, we have to be diligent. Diligent, it means to be constant in effort. It means to give exertion to accomplish the task. It means to be attentive. It means to be industrious. It, it, it means don't be idle. Don't be negligent. If you are a diligent person, Scripture tells you that you are going to be blessed because diligent people, three things here. This is the, we're going to give you a practical application to every one of these. Diligent people are people that are productive. And get things done. Only diligent people get things done. Lazy people, inconsistent people, people that can't show up, people that make excuses, don't get anything done. Diligent people are people that are productive and get things done. Diligent people, therefore, are valued and appreciated. And diligent people, therefore, are rewarded and promoted. Okay? That's just the way it works. I think a number of years ago most people understood that. I'm not so sure that, you know, because sometimes I'll tell Sharon, i said. Do I have to preach that? Isn't that a given? And Sharon will tell me, this day and age, no, that's not a given anymore. I mean, you would think this would be a given. But I I guarantee you, in, in this state of mind in our country right now, where everybody thinks the government owes them something, this is a foreign concept right here. You know? But it's a biblical concept. Diligent people tend to prosper. Number two. People who take advantage of opportunities tend to be prosperous. People who take advantage of opportunities tend to be prosperous. In Proverbs ten five, it says, He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. He that gathereth in summer. In an agricultural society, which existed primarily for thousands of years... People knew you had to take advantage of the summer. If you goofed off in the summer and just laid around and basked in the sun, and you did not take advantage of that opportunity, you're going to be hungry in the winter. And that's what this verse is teaching. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. I like this quote that goes with it. We are to be men of opportunity. That is to say, we're to buy up the opportunity to redeem the time. When God opens a gate, he means that we should go through it and pass into all the inheritance beyond. We Christians need to possess the wisdom and the discernment to recognize our opportunities when they present themselves. You know the old saying, you've got to make hay while the sun shines. Again, that's, that's just another way of phrasing this, this Bible verse right here. You know, when, when you have the opportunity to make hay, then you do it. And you have that opportunity only when the sun shines. So when that opportunity comes, you've got to take advantage of it. I mean, I'm amazed in, in the day and age when people, you know, have no jobs and I see help on it signs all over the place. You know, I mean, what's that all about? And thankfully, I I see more than I have in a a number of years, so that would tell me that the opportunities are there. Opportunities, when you take advantage of opportunities, it gives you uh, the chance for advancement and progress, practical application. Prepare yourself for opportunities through study or apprenticeship. You know, just go. Take advantage of entry-level opportunities. I've heard some people say, well, I'm not going to work there. They don't pay enough money. Well, a little money to me is better than no money. And, and you start there and you work hard. And then when you have another opportunity, guess what? That place, they might want to give you a $3 an hour raise to keep you. Because you have proven yourself. And that's just the way it works. You start at the bottom. And number three, give it your all no matter the opportunity. There are some people that have the mindset, well, I'm not getting paid at this job as much as I, I want to get paid or as much as I'm worthy, so I'm just going to slack off. You're going to slide backwards. You know, whatever. Listen, you hire in for whatever amount it is, you give it your best. Can I hear an amen on that one? I mean, if you, if you agreed, yeah, I'm going to work for whatever hour of wage it is, No, it may not be be able to sustain you, but it's a starting point. And you go and you give it your dead level best. You're going to learn some lessons. You're going to make yourself valuable to individuals. You're going to be promoted. You're going to prosper. Number three, faithful people tend to be prosperous. Faithful people. Proverbs 28, 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessings. A very faithful man, that is truly so. That is so in a moral sense, true to his work, makes good his promises, fulfills his contracts, abides by the obligations he lays himself under, is faithful in every trust reposed in him, be it greater or lesser matters, what I was just talking about in every situation in which it is, and throughout the whole course of his life. A faithful man. A man who does what is expected of him. Does it with the right spirit. Does it with the right attitude. Does it to the best of his ability. To be faithful means to be loyal. To be constant. To be steadfast. And I've said from this pulpit before, I talked to... You know, I love businessmen. Oh, I love everybody, but businessmen, there's, these are guys that make things happen. And I have an appreciation for their zeal, their dedication, their hard work, their industry. And I talk to these men who, who employ other men. And one of the things I hear these days so often is, we'll hire people. And we'll give them a decent wage. And we're happy to have them there. We'll train them. They don't even have to be trained in this area. And then they don't show up. They don't even call in. They just don't show up. I, I, I've heard that from Sharon when she, when she worked at the bank. About, about some of these young people, they just, you know, work a, a few days and don't even let them know that we're not even coming back. Dreadfully, there's something dreadfully wrong with the lack of character in people today. Faithful people, here's the benefits, the practical application. Faithful people can be trusted. Faithful people will put forth their best effort. Faithful people will work well with and for others. They're not in the middle of all the drama at work. They're just working hard. And guess what? Those people are very valuable. Very valuable. And they're the ones that are going to be blessed. And they're going to be the last ones to ever be laid off if a layoff ever needs to come. People who demonstrate faithfulness in the small things... As the Bible says, we'll be blessed with the bigger things. Number four, got to be quick. Generous people tend to be prosperous. Are you generous? Do you see others with a need and you try to help them when you can? Proverbs 22.9 says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth his bread to the poor. If you're a stingy tightwad, chances are you are not prosperous. I like this quote from Matthew Henry. Concerning this verse, he says, He has also a liberal hand, a generous hand, giving hand. He gives of his bread to those, that need, to, to those that need his bread. The bread appointed for his own eating. The poor will bless him. All about him will speak well of him. And God himself will bless him. In answer to many, a good prayer to put up for him. And he shall be blessed. It's imperative that if you want to be blessed, according to Scripture, and these are the rules of life, I mean, it's going to apply. You have to be generous. It shows a readiness to to give uh, to someone who is in need. You give them money, maybe it's giving them time, but you're generous. And the blessings of that are that generosity, it says, is blessed of God. Generosity then connects us with others, and that's a good thing, connecting with people. And generosity is also personally uplifting and and, and satisfying. They say it's more blessed to give than to receive. And while the person is blessed by receiving something, I, I think that pales in comparison to the blessings that the generous person senses in knowing that they've done the right thing generosity shows a kindness and a, and a sensitivity that others value and appreciate and put you in a position to be valued, to be appreciated, where God will use situations in life where people will make sure you are taken care of because you are a generous individual, you are a good person. Number five. Industrious people tend to be prosperous. This is related to diligent, but it says it this way: In all labor, there is profit. In all labor, there is profit. I love this quote: "Work, hard work, is a blessing to the soul and character of the man who works." Isn't that true? Work is work is not a part of the curse. <laughs> There are some people that would like to believe, well, you know, this is a sin-cursed world and work is part of it. No, God gave Adam and Eve work before the world was cursed. Being forced to work and forced to do your best will breed in you temperance and self-control, diligence and strength of will, cheerfulness and content or contentment, and a hundred virtues which the idle man will never know. Isn't that a fantastic quote? Well, it is, whether you agree with me or not. (laughs) Whether I get an amen or not, it's a fantastic quote. It is. Listen to that. He will know a hundred virtues. You ever met a virtuous, lazy bum? But you meet men who work hard. Let me tell you this, too. Some of the hardest working people I know, men and women, are in this room right here. I am blessed to, you know, I I guess I really am as I pause and think about it here. I'm I'm preaching to the choir. In fact, there's been through the years, sometimes I've I've worried about some of you working too hard. And and too long. And too much. You, You can, you know, you can go to the extreme with that. But as a group of people, I think we have the hardest working people that I know. Working industriously, it means working energetically. It means being devoted. And why is it that it's, it, all labor is profit? Labor builds character. Labor gets important things done. Labor or work benefits others. We need to remember that work is, is not a dirty four-letter word. Number six: people who know and walk with God tend to be prosperous. People who know and walk with God tend to be prosperous. Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. And that could be talking about spiritual blessings. But I think it could also be talking about meeting our financial needs. And he addeth no sorrow. One writer said, we enter into an intimate heart relationship with God through faith in his son. He becomes our heart's greatest desire. Knowing Him, hearing His voice, sharing our hearts with Him, and seeking to please Him become our all-consuming focus. He becomes everything to us. The blessings of the Lord, the blessings of walking with the Lord, the blessings of knowing the Lord, it maketh rich. It is imperative, therefore, that we walk with the Lord. Not because you come to church and the preacher beats you up, because you have a heart's Love for God and the fact that He saved you and the fact that He's in control and He can give you blessings or He can withhold those blessings from you. This practical application, walking with God, gives motivation to attempt the task. Walking with God gives direction to stay on task. Walking with God gives the ability to finish the task. God is, in a sense, obligated to bless those who walk with him. And lastly, number seven. Humble people tend to be prosperous. Humble people tend to be prosperous. Proverbs 22, 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. If there is a common denominator... Among people who suffer financially, and it's their fault. Now, sometimes it's not their fault. You know, the economy, you can lose a job. You know, I I understand that. But often, my personal experience in dealing with people who really struggle financially, and they do it all the time, oftentimes is because you can't tell them anything. You can't tell them anything. You know, they will not listen. There's been times I just have to sit there and be quiet and say, okay, he's going to tell me how it is, he's going to tell me how it's going to be. And I'm not going to tell him, you know, it's not that I'm arrogant, I'm just going to point him to the Bible. You know, I don't know anything, but I know this book, and this book has a lot to say. The truly humble person will be rich in spiritual matters, luxuriating in peace with God. Confident in the prospect of eternal reward and recognizing and appreciating those riches as coming to them personally from God's hand. They consider themselves as mightily blessed beyond all deserving. These are the riches, honor, and life, which are the wages of humility in the fear of God. It is imperative that we be humble. Humility is simply a modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance and rank. Humble people are not controlled by money. Humble people are not interested in impressing others. Humble people recognize and appreciate true riches. Humble people, when humility allows you to focus on what God sees as riches and not what you see as riches. Humble people will be guided by the principles of God's Word and therefore will enjoy the blessings that come in obedience to God's Word. So what have we learned this morning? We'll wrap it up. It's diligent people who tend to be prosperous. People who take, of, take advantage of opportunities tend to be prosperous. Faithful people tend to be prosperous. Generous people tend to be prosperous. Industrious people tend to be prosperous. People who know and walk with God tend to be prosperous. Humble people tend to be prosperous. You've heard me say this a lot. Let's consider that a hypothesis. And Then go out these doors and check it out. And check out the people who are living these principles, and I guarantee you, they are prosperous. Barring some other conflicting principle that's coming in and having an effect on their life, but as a general rule, they will be prosperous. And you show me people that will make excuses or not interested or won't come to church and learn this stuff, I guarantee you, I will show you people that are not prosperous in any definition of prosperous. Dave Ramsey, you know, I mentioned we're doing his nine-week course on Thursday night, a great course. He sees it. Here's a quote from him. There is a direct correlation between your habits, choices, and character in Christ and your propensity to build wealth. That's what I've been saying. He probably said it a little bit better than me. There is a direct correlation between your habits, choices, and character in Christ and your propensity to build wealth. Let's go back finish where we started. Joshua 1.8 And this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then... Thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God wants you to be prosperous. Are there some exceptions out there where some Christians don't appear prosperous? Yep, and there's reasons why. Biblical reasons that have come into conflict with this principle. And God overrides this principle because he's, trying to do a greater good for their benefit and for his glory but does god want you prosperous in the sense that you're neither in poverty or in riches and we'll focus on that next week that's the sweet spot that's the sweet spot in life thank you for listening to today's message we hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by god's word if you have any questions about Baptist church Please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com Thanks for listening.